Hey, and welcome to our podcast, Ask a Pastor. We are answering questions that people write in about theology and life and faith. If you have a question, we would love to receive those and look at those for future podcasts. Just send an email to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. I'm joined today by Brady Randall. He's our campus pastor in Butler. If you are up around the Butler area or not, you should check out their service. Uh, service times and location is all on our website. Um, Brady, our first question here is this. Um, something that probably talk to a lot of people about regularly. I struggle having personal devotions. What have you found to be the most helpful? Yeah, and I think... What the writer is asking, a personal devotion is typically time spent with the Lord, uh, reading the Bible or praying. And uh, the, the fact that this person says they are struggling, I think, is a, is a good admission. Um, I struggle with having personal devotions. And I think mm. what people often struggle with is, one, is it worth making time for? Um, if it is, what's the best time? And if I do make time for it, how can I avoid it sort of like a checklist? Mm. And, and for me, what I found is um, I'm not a super morning person. Some people, they, they make time right as soon as they get up in the morning. Uh, for me, my best time is sort of when my son goes to bed. I have about a half hour with myself. And so what is, what is sort of your best time? And I, I just think about any sort of human relationship, uh, especially like a marriage. You, know, you can be sort of humming along, but if you don't make time to check in, see how the other's doing, communicating, something can get stale in a relationship. Hmm. And, and so while I don't know if it's a, a sin that you don't have a, you know, a 15, 30-minute devotion time with the Lord, I think it's, it's good for us. It's good for communication with the Lord. And so uh, for me, what I found to be most helpful is that I need to go through whole books of the Bible. Hmm. Uh, so for example, Joel, if I were to write you a, a one-page letter and uh, you just started reading the middle and then the last, you'd sort of miss the whole thing. And so for me, it's been yeah. helpful to uh, what I'll do is go through one book uh, of the Old Testament, one chapter a day, and one chapter a day in the New Testament, just kind of mm -hmm. go through a book. And what I found to be helpful is to start journaling. And, and so if there's a sentence that really hits me or convicts me, I'll just sort of jot that down. Um, and then the other thing that I found really helpful to journal is prayer requests. And so I don't, I don't write out a whole whole list, but I'll just bullet point some prayer requests. And then it's really cool for me to be able to go back even some months later, and look how the Lord has answered that prayer. Uh, yeah. Not always the way I wanted, but the way that was even better than I expected. And hmm. so it's a, it's a document of sort of answered prayer, which is, which is really, really cool. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who just feels like they have no time in their life? I mean, most people who don't do personal devotions but want to uh, generally just feel like they're too busy to do it. So uh, what kind of advice would you give to that person? Yeah, I don't know that this is necessarily true, but I heard one person say this, that discipleship is 70% uh, a good night's sleep. Hmm. And, and <laughs> so um, really maybe I would start with saying, God, how can I, how can I get 15, how can I go to bed 15 minutes earlier the next night, hmm. um, the, the night before? And then I would, I would just take some time and pray, God, what is my best time? I'm so busy. Um, there's a guy in church history named Martin Luther. He was really busy. If you've ever heard of the 95 Theses, this, so he was a really busy guy in the, in the church. And he was famous for having two to three hour long devotions in the morning. And someone would, would go up to him and say, how in the world do you have so much time with all that you're doing? Yeah. And what he said was, I'm too busy not to. Hmm. 
In other words, I think, I think we have to come to that conviction like, I need this. It is good for my soul. It is good for everything else that I'm, that I'm busy with. And if you can come to that realization, then I would say, God, what is my best time? Uh, for a lot of people, it is first thing in the morning. Yeah. Maybe it's after the kids go to bed. Maybe it's after the kids go to school. And, and then maybe what's helpful is find someone else in your life, maybe a spouse, uh, maybe a, an, another mentor or a friend that can maybe hold you accountable. And not in a way like, hey, did you have your devotion today? But more, hey, wh- what's the Lord been teaching you in this last week? Yeah. And so finding the real value in that says, okay, I, I've got to make, make 15 minutes for this. Yeah. One of the things that I always think is really helpful for somebody who does not have like a, a habit right now um, is to just sit down and just make a decision and to write it out. Because just simply the act of writing something out you know, I forget the statistic, but you're like, you know, a crazy amount more likely to do it if you write it out and specifically write out what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to read or listen to or whatever? When am I going to do it? Where in my house or my office Mm -hmm. or where, where am I going to do it? And all the little details, because you're just that much more likely to do it. Um, What would you say if somebody wants to start, where could they start? Yeah, I would, I think the best place to start is probably one of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, the Gospels are sort of the, the story of the life of Jesus. And I think just starting somewhere, even, even like the, the Gospel of Mark and going through, and um, if you don't have a, a good study Bible, um, I think that can be helpful. A study Bible, is, it has the, the biblical text and underneath it has some of the background, it has some of the meaning, some of the interpretation. And not that the, not that the, the study portion is uh, infallible, but I think that can be a really helpful thing. And really, yeah. um, you know, even starting in community, you know, whether that's, uh, now I know being a part of a life group is different than having a personal devotion, but reading the scriptures in community can maybe, you have a question that someone else can answer. I think that can be really helpful because it can be like, you know, you've ever heard the, the drop and plot method where someone's like, okay, I'm just going to start here. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that's terrible. I mean, the, it's, I believe it's the word of God and God can speak in that sentence. Um, but if you really want some good context, I think starting, like I said, in the gospel, chapter one until the end, maybe having a good study Bible, and then having someone maybe who's further along in the faith that you can write down your questions. Like there's some things I don't understand Mm -hmm. and see and pray, God, I want to know this. And so see how the Lord will answer through other people, through his word, uh, through a mentor. I think that can be a really helpful thing as well. So generally we act on what we believe, right? Like we eat a certain way because of what we believe. We drive a certain way because of what we believe. If people don't read the Bible, it really gets to the core, not of, they don't, they don't have a discipline problem. They have a belief problem. Mm. So give us just for a minute, why, why bother reading the Bible? I mean, I guess somebody could argue that for centuries in the Christian church, people didn't have access to a Bible. And so they did just fine without having a personal Bible in their house. So why does it, why does it even matter? Yeah. Uh, I, I think first it, it goes down to what, what do you say the Bible is? Um, and, and for me, I'm convinced that it is God's word to us. And, you know, God can speak in a variety of ways. He can, you know, speak. He, he, in the Bible, he spoke through a, an animal. He can speak through dreams and visions. But the primary way that God has spoken to us is through Jesus. Uh, in fact, in Hebrews, it says, in the past, God spoke through a variety of ways. But now he has spoken to us through his son. And Mm. what we have recorded in the Bible is God's word to us. And if you think about it, if there is a God, 
And if God created everything that you and I see, and if in fact that God wants to communicate with us, wouldn't it be cool to know what he said and what he wants from us? And, and, and that where I think you said, Joel, is what is your conviction? And God says that the, the Bible is the, the living word of God. Yeah. It's the way that he speaks to us. It's the way that he counsels us. It's the way that he shows us how much we are loved. And when you, wow, the God who made everything we see, uh, he wants a relationship with, with us. He wants to talk to us. Mm then it's like, wow, how can, I not, how can I not get into the word of God if that's in fact what it is? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking of Romans 12 too, which says we're changed by the renewing, we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. And it's that those couple of moments in a day that we spend in the word um, where God is renewing our, like literally remaking our minds new again so that we think differently and we value things differently. Um, and it's like he's bringing us back to that moment in the garden before sin entered into the world, before mm -hmm. sin corrupted our mind. And, uh, and that's obviously a, a, a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, great answer, Brady. The next question uh, that we have here is, how should the church address the issue of cremation versus burial? What do yeah, you think, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I think one of the reasons this is a big question now is one is because of the cost difference. Hmm. Um, from what I understand, a typical burial funeral will cost between eight to $10,000, which is very expensive. And uh, a cremation may cost somewhere around $2,000. And so people are asking the question, what's more biblical, what, how, what honors the Lord? Hmm. And um, in fact, this is a really important question in the early church, the first couple centuries of the church, when people who were Christians were being uh, martyred and murdered for their faith. Uh, they were being ripped up by lions, they were being thrown into the fire, and the big question for the early church is, what happens to a body that's been burned up hmm. or, or mutilated? This was a really, a really big deal. And, and people today, you know, death has a sort of a, um, th there's something, so, I mean, very depressing about death and thinking about, well, what happens to a body if it's cremated versus if it's burial? And, uh, you know, the reality is scripture says, you know, from dust we were created and to dust we will, we will end up, hmm. which is sort of a very humbling thought to think about. We were made from dust, we'll be dust again. Yeah. Um, if you look throughout the scriptures, the emphasis uh, is on burial. You know, there's around 200 references either in the Old Testament or in the total scriptures, and it's almost always uh, for burial for people who are believers. Hmm. Um, in fact, the, the very first mention of cremation happens uh, in 1 Samuel 31. It says this, uh, But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh mm -hmm. and fasted for seven days. So I think there's another reference as well, and it's typically a negative reference to have a body be burned. But you know, the reality is it, Scripture doesn't say that one is sinful or one is the other. I think the really important piece is what happens to someone who puts their trust in Jesus, mm. that they go into the ground and whether they're <coughs> burned uh, quickly, which is maybe just hurries up the, the inevitable process anyway, that those who trust in Jesus, that God will raise their body, whether it's been burned or mutilated or buried, and that's mm. sort of the important point. And if someone were to come up to me and say, Brady, 
Uh, for, first, I would also say this. Um, you need to talk as a family, what is your desire and why? That, that's a really important piece. Um, but if someone were to come to me and say, Brady, uh, this so-and-so would like to be cremated and we're gonna take the six to $8,000 that we're gonna save in the process and give it to the mission of God, I would say go ahead for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we wanna get legalistic and this is sin or this isn't. What is your motivation behind why you're doing it and yeah. why? And remembering ultimately, for those who trust in Jesus, God will raise any form of body from the dead. Hmm. So you're saying, you know, ultimately, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is the heart that, that is behind the action. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Again, I think it's worth doing a, a study. Um, and like I said, the biblical witness, almost all believers are buried. And I think that gives a good picture of a body going to the ground like Jesus was buried um, and when he was buried, three days later, he rose from the dead. So there's sort of a picture mm. of what happened with Jesus, which will what happened to us. Uh, but ultimately, I want people to, out there to know, if, if you're concerned, man, my so-and-so, this happened to his body or her body, and she was cremated, God can raise anyone, yeah. any form from the dead, which I think is the main, the yeah. main issue. I think you're right on, and that's a really important, uh, important thing to point out. Um, I've heard people say before that, um, that for a Christian, burying the body in the ground is, is the best picture of, of the future because we have this hope that God is gonna return. He's gonna resurrect our bodies and then he's gonna give us new bodies. And there's this hope that our bodies are not in and of themselves evil, that God's going to redeem them in some way. Um, and so it is this beautiful picture that resurrection is coming. Um, but on the other hand, I've heard people say, man, we can't sustain this. I mean, we got a lot of people on this earth and we just can't keep, you know, putting all these plots in the earth that we can't build mm -hmm. things on. And somebody's got to mow that thing forever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so it's definitely a complicated uh, issue, but at the same time, it's, it's also very simple mm -hmm. um, that our hope is in the resurrection. And no matter what has happened to that body, mm -hmm. um, we believe that uh, God can resurrect. Yes, yeah. All right, good deal. Third question, one that is guaranteed to um, bring you some, some uh, disapproval from uh, <laughs> no matter how you answer this. Um, how much money is too much to keep? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And this is another area where I think uh, people and especially Christians can sort of get legalistic. Um, and I think what's in the background here is is in Christian circles, you may have heard of what's called a tithe, which is sort of a 10% of your income would go toward the ministry. Um, and in the Old Testament, uh, the first fruits, oftentimes it was actually food, went towards, uh, you know, feeding those who were in ministry. It went towards the work of the Lord, the, mm. the first 10%, um, in addition to other offerings. And so Christians have asked the, the question, I think maybe what's behind this is how much is too much to keep? You know, is it, do I have to give away 10%? Can I live on 90%? Is that even a thing in the New Testament? Hmm. And so we get to be uh, sort of legalistic. Um, I think Jesus assumed at the minimum um, a 10% uh, because the Pharisees are asking him things and he says, okay, yeah, you tie, that's good, but what you should be real concerned about is this, matters of justice. Yeah. Um, but maybe a better question rather than how much do I get to keep is how much can I give away to the mission of God? Yeah. Um, 
you know, my, my wife and I were, were sort of struggling with this before we got married. We had to have these conversations. What percentage of our income will we live off of? What percent will we, will we give away to the ministry, um, the mission of God? And about that time, I ran into um, a story from a guy named Rick Warren, who uh, sort of a well-known author. Uh, he wrote um, Purpose Driven Life, which is one of the best-selling books of all time. And he said he and his wife came to an agreement that they wanted to not only tithe, so give, start with 10%, but each year they wanted to increase that percentage for as long as the Lord mm. allowed them. And so some years were better than others, and so maybe the next year they went to 11%. Maybe there was a good book sale, they went up to 15%. Maybe it was a really hard year, so they were only able to go uh, 0.5%. Um, now, this was a while ago, and at that time, they, were, they became reverse tithers. Mm. In other words, they gave away at 90 plus percent of what they brought in. And someone, a skeptic, might say, well, yeah, if you're making you know, millions on book sales, that'd be easy to do. Uh, <laughs> but I think that the Lord, the Lord honors that. And, sure. and the real principle behind giving and, and what you want to keep is, you know, God says in the New Testament, I love a cheerful giver. Uh, he says, take your income so it's it's based on what you make some people don't make much in fact there's a story of uh, the widow's might where jesus was in the the temple and and many people were giving away large amounts of gifts and what jesus was most impressed with if you want to use that term is a widow who gave uh, just a couple of coins worth in today's day probably you know about a penny or so and he said about her she gave away more than anyone else yeah. and so more than a, just a percentage it's what, what is the attitude of your heart what can I keep but what can I give away and just one other thing Joel is there's a guy named John Wesley I thought he said it really well he said this he said um, make all you can save all you can give all you can mm. and and that that's always sort of really stuck out to me as well what, what would your counsel be you know I read this question um, not so much as uh, a percentage you know to tithe or or, or give um, but more as a as a question about saving how much mm. is too much to keep like in a savings account and uh, um, I, I knew a guy this was more than 10 years ago and he was probably 55 at the time and, uh, and he was so convinced that the Lord was going to return during his lifetime that he said, you know, we have no savings for retirement. Now, I haven't checked up on him to see how that's going. <laughs> um, what would you say to somebody like that? I mean, obviously, he's got faith in God that God's going to take care of him, but is that, is that wise? Yeah, I, you know, I think doing a whole study, oftentimes when, when you talk about money in a church, probably 90% of the, the topic is is on giving, but really the scriptures have a lot to say about uh, saving, investing, being a wise steward. Yeah. And part of being a wise steward is not uh, saying this is God's money and this is my money. It's to say it's all really God's money. Hmm. And so if you view it with that mindset, it can be easier to, to view everything with an open hand. And so there is, uh, you know, Jesus, when he tells a story about a, a shrewd manager, uh, there's something to be said about what are best biblical practices for investing. How can I multiply and grow? Not my money, but God's money. Yeah. You know, God doesn't bless us. I heard one person say one time, God doesn't bless us to increase our standard of giving, but ra uh, living, increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. Hmm. Um, but I do think there's something to be said about being a wise steward, thinking about retirement, thinking about 
uh, investing for college, thinking about growing the money that you have, but is it for yourself so that you can have a big nest egg and retire and live life easy? Or is it so that you can be a wise steward and, and be generous, with not just to the church, but to neighbors and friends, to your own family? Yeah. Uh, I think Paul says, if you don't take care of your family, uh, you're worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. And so the scripture has a lot to say, not just about giving, but saving, investing, but being a steward of all of the money and not seeing it just as yours, but really as, as the Lord has lent it to you. Yeah, when I was a teenager, um, no, younger than a teenager, um, I remember getting an allowance from my parents, and at one point it was a 50 cent allowance, and, uh, and when they would give this to me, they would always make me take 10% of that and set it aside to give away, and, uh, and that is one of the best gifts that my parents have ever given me, mm -hmm. is teaching me that, because, um, and I, I, don't, I say this not to brag, but giving away 10% has never been a struggle for my family, mm. simply because both of our parents just ingrained that in us. And it's almost too easy. Like we have to, you know, still make sure our hearts are in it and, mm. and be, you know, generous beyond that. And so to the parents, um, you know, get those habits ingrained in your children. But what would you say to somebody who, you know, basically doesn't give much away at all, except, you know, $2 at the Giant Eagle checkout here and there, $100 when they get a thing in the mail, but they have no regular habit of giving. How do you even start? Yeah. Well, one of the things it's, it's helpful to sort of get your financial house in order. And I know that that debt, credit card debt, uh, other kinds of debt are so prevalent among so many Americans. And so even sitting down with a, a financial planner, just laying out your whole assets, here's my debt, here's what I owe, here's what I make, just getting a big picture, and then saying, God, I know it's your desire, uh, one, that this is all of your money, but two, that you want me to be generous in giving it away. How can I do that? And so yeah. what I would tell people is start somewhere. Yeah. Say, here's my income, I'm gonna start this week and give 2% unto the Lord. Yeah. And then say, next week, God, by your grace and by wise financial counsel, I'm going to try and go to 3%. And then maybe the next month is a little rough. Maybe I go to 3.5%. And see if the Lord doesn't come through, not by a, you know, a, a $1,000 random check, though he could do that. Yeah. Um, but this is the, one of the areas where the Lord says, test me in. <clears throat> um, and, and it's not, okay, if I give, God's going to bless me. Uh, financially, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but I can tell you just personally that when, when my wife and I have decided, even when it's hard to be generous, we've seen the Lord come through time and time again. And, yeah. and again, I don't say that like, okay, I give 10% and all my finances are going to be great. Um, I do believe that God can do more with your 90% left than 100% of just you. I've seen mm -hmm. that to be the case uh, as well. Uh, but I believe, I've seen time and time again in my own life and others' lives that when we say, God, we want to honor you with our best, with our first fruits, with this money, God has come through. Yeah. And, and I don't say that uh, tr to be trite, like, oh yeah, God's always going to come through. And sometimes the blessing is not uh, necessarily in the form of money, yeah. uh, but in, in contentment. And we can be more content with less. Yep. I think that's a real blessing that comes as well. And I think uh, the other thing is, seriously think about automated giving. Um, we, you know, science has already told us that we get decision fatigue and to have to make good decisions over and over and over again, it is such a blessing to just be able to schedule it in the bank account and it just happens. And, uh, and then of course, you know, you want your heart to be in it, but it happens and then you figure out how to live on 
what's left. Mm. Well, thank you, Brady. Um, really appreciate your answers to these questions. And again, if you have any questions that you'd like to send in to Ask a Pastor, um, you can send those to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. 